Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. We're back. This is 95.9 FM, WATD in Marshfield, Massachusetts. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. The uh, subject for today is investing stuff. That's my technical uh, term. And uh, uh, my son, Justin, who uh, manages most all of our money at McNamara Financial, is keeping me company. I'm the big picture investment guy. He can get into the details with anyone. Uh, folks, this is a, a show. Uh, we're primarily talking right now about diversification, uh, the most boring and the most necessary thing you need to do with your money. And uh, we're going to throw that around for at least the next half an hour or so. Uh, but we We'd be happily interrupted with a telephone call about a, an investing or investment-related question. Uh, maybe you've got a question about your 401k. Uh, maybe you, you're not sure about your asset allocation or that pie that you have in your 401k is the right mixture of stuff for you. Uh, maybe you're looking at your statements for a, a, a number of months and you're starting to wonder if the performance that you're seeing is good, bad, or ugly, or indifferent. Uh, maybe you have a, an question. Those those uh, products spawn a lot uh, of questions because they're very difficult for folks to understand. That includes us financial advisors. Uh, maybe a college savings question. Uh, you know, where to get that income from? By the way, Josh, you heard Myla do that uh, commercial a few moments ago, right? Yes, I did. Well, we have to get Charlotte down the radio show so she can do some of those, you know. <laughs> uh, just just want to put that in your mind. That's all. Okay. It sounds all right. 
Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, folks, uh, you know, we're talking about diversification. And, Justin, uh, where do you want to go? Okay. Uh, all right. So, we, we talked about, uh, again, we're, we're at the port diversification at the asset class level. And we started to, to build our own, uh, our own little portfolio, which is I know is difficult on the radio, but we'll only use three assets. We used our large cap stocks. Uh, our international stocks and our and our bonds, right? We'll, we'll say the U.S. bond market. A three-color uh, pie. Okay. Yeah, again, the reason we would put those together is because they are not correlated, right? They move at different uh, they move at different paces in different directions on occasion. Uh, and then, just to 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 illustrate why it works, what we're going to take, and I, I won't give the numbers, but the things that we're concerned about, and anyone anyone who's investing, the concern is. How much money am I going to make, right? And how much how much volatility is there going to be, right? I mean, if if you told me that you know, if we told a client, hey, here's an investment we think is going to make ten percent per year, they might say that's terrific. But we but if they then heard, oh, there's a chance that it'll go up and down ninety percent every other year, they might not be too interested <laughs> in that, right? They might, <laughs> but. Yeah. Uh, you know, extreme volatility doesn't sit well with most people on the downside, right? They, they're, everyone's always fine with the upside volatility yeah. when it goes oh, yeah. when it goes screaming. But when something is down significant uh, significant amounts, people tend to get concerned about that. So the, those are the factors that we are concerned about with our investments. And the reason that you build diversified portfolios is because the diversification, because the diversification, the assets work together. To make what's effectively a better portfolio, right? So if you if you took our three asset classes, and I don't know if you actually should I use numbers or not here, but if you took our three asset classes, yeah, yeah, you can use, yep, that, that's good, yep. Okay, and okay, so I guess we'll have to make up a portfolio then. Um, let's say it's a third, a third, a third. Okay, yep. so you put a third of your money in each of the in each of those uh, three asset classes, and your two stock investments. Are going to make up. Uh, are, are, we're expecting a return of ten percent per year on those. And your bond investment, you're expecting a return of let's say five uh, percent. Okay, so if you take a, if if you average that return out, I believe it, the the expected return would be somewhere around what would it be like somewhere around eight percent, give or take. Yeah, a little uh, more than half because of two thirds. Yep. Yep. And so. The expected return on that portfolio would be sort of the the average of those returns. Okay, so your your simple average would be somewhere around eight percent. I should be able to do the math here, but I don't have a calculator right yeah. in front of me. Oh, you should have done two 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 flavors it would be easy, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but most yeah, most portfolios yeah. are more than two. So I understand. Very, yeah, I, if we just did stocks and bonds historically, yeah. you know, if it was fifty fifty and you had or or you know. If it was a fifty-fifty and you were had a ten percent returning asset and a five percent returning asset, then your average return would be seven and a half percent. Okay. Yep. The other number that we worry about again is is volatility. How we express that in the investment world uh, is is it's called standard deviation. It's just a measure of the volatility around a mean average, and higher is worse assuming you don't want volatility in your portfolio assuming you're trying to limit your volatility uh, you you know you want a lower standard deviation right if you if you own a six percent CD your standard deviation is zero because you are getting six percent 
per year every year with no volatility, right? So that you know, that when when you're into guaranteed investments, you have no standard deviation because the return is the same every single year. Do you okay. do you have one of those I don't know about? A six percent CD. A six percent yeah. CD. <laughs> That's right. That was a that was a bad example, right? I should have said two and a half. Um, <laughs> yes, if you have a two and a half, right? Yeah. More realistically, a two and a half or three percent CD. That would be your standard deviation. Would be whatever your coupon was. All right, and assuming that you, uh, see, you know, the bank didn't go out of business and and, and or it was covered by FDIC insurance. Okay, so that is the standard deviation of a CD in the stock market. The standard deviation is much higher, right? The historical number is. You know, it depends on the market you're measuring, but let's say somewhere around 20%. That may be high, uh, but let's call it 20% is the is a measure of the volatility of the stock market. Okay, uh, and obviously that's uh, not not great because, as we all know, on occasion the stock market will drop. You know, somewhere in the order of you know 20, 30, 40, even close to 50%. Right. So your your standard deviation is your measure of volatility, and let's just let's just hand out numbers to the standard deviation. Uh, if we're again using our two asset portfolio, our stock market and our bond market, let's say our stock market portfolio has a 20% standard deviation and our bond market portfolio has a 5% standard deviation. In that case, uh, you know, the average standard deviation of those two assets, you, you would expect it to be, what is that? The 12 and a half percent. Okay. Yep. Um, and so, that's that was you know the, using simple averages. That's the numbers that you get, right? You're expecting a twelve and a half percent standard deviation, and you're expecting an eight percent return. Okay, but the reason that the whole reason that we build those pies is because you don't is because when you actually put asset classes together that aren't moving that are moving in different directions, the numbers get better, right? When you put a portfolio that has stocks and bonds in it. And you re- and you're rebalancing it on a regular basis, you effectively get a higher return than you would expect using a simple average, right? So instead of your seven and a half percent rate of return, which we would expect, maybe you get seven and three quarters or or, or even eight percent, depending on you know depending on the assets and the correlation, and you would uh, and you would actually get a lower yeah. standard deviation. Yeah, and uh, folks, what one of the the messages we want to get across is that, well, what return your target return for that portfolio is that seven and a half or eight percent? You you don't compare your return against the stock market or the bond market. You compare your return versus what you would expect to earn right. inside that strategy. Lots of people forget that sometimes, you know. Right. So again, yeah. So again, that I won't. I won't belabor the point too much, but the whole point of diversification is you is you're actually you know you're actually improving on the individual pieces. It's you know the the the, uh, the sum is you know the whole is greater than the sum of its parts is effectively what standard deviation is, and that's why folks like us and people in the investment world spend a lot of time and a lot of resources trying to build the the perfect pie. Right? I mean, there 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 are companies that are that are spending a lot of resources doing research and trying to figure out okay exactly how should this what's what's the optimum pie? You know, what are my asset classes that should be included in my pie, and what is the breakdown? Uh, that I want to use for various, you know, for various risk levels. And yeah. Of course, we have them, and everyone, and you know, and, and everyone else has them as well. Everybody has a pie, and that's a good thing, by the way. Everybody has a pie, and that's the reason. Okay. 
So, uh, do you think we covered that okay? So can we move on yep. to our... Yep, yep. I, I think, uh, well, but just, okay, so kind of a grand summary is that, you know, folks, you, you, you want to you own different things in your portfolio that back, basically go in different directions and in different cycles because when you blend it out, uh, it's a lot less risky than owning one particular flavor or not. It takes a lot of the guesswork uh, out of things by spreading it, you know, you know, many eggs, many baskets, basically, is, is where you put your eggs, folks, and that's what's really this about. But but the but the flip side is, you know, well, let's see, my portfolio earned eight, and the stock market did eleven. Well, you only got a third of your money in stock. I mean, so so the flip side is that a you need to make sure you compare your return against what you're expecting, not someplace else. Uh, and, and you want to get used to the fact that if you look at some of your investments at any given time for a month or six months or a year or five years, and we'll get into that shortly, you yeah. know, a particular category could look absolutely awful and it could test your patience as to why am I owning this thing? It's got a negative return, you know, for the last five years, you know, help me out here. You know, why should we do this sort of a thing? So, you know, you, you got to have a, an understanding and, and a patience level that takes some some getting used to, I guess, to make all this work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well said. Uh, okay. So yeah, l- l- let me just go through. And I, I know you have this chart. I shouldn't have sent you the chart. Actually, I should have surprised yeah, you. And, and that's okay. You probably. I just close my eyes and not look at it. How's that? Can that work? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So. And let, let's let me set up the let's set the stage by saying that this is coming from a place of you know of questions. We, you know we meet with a lot of clients, obviously, and we get these questions on a fairly regular basis. And a question that we've been getting for a bunch of years now is you know is about everything else other than our U.S. stock market exposure, right? One of one of our holdings. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> one, one of our holdings is, uh, you know, we, own, we do own the S&P 500 uh, exchange traded fund, one of them, one of the many, uh, and it has done terrific. And it's, you know, generally speaking, a large part of uh, most people's portfolios. And if I go back, I'm, I'm only working with data that goes uh, through 2018. So it's not, uh, you know, not, not up to the not up to the day here, but uh, if I look back in time, you know, if I go back to 2018, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some of the returns on various asset classes that would be, inclu- you know, that are sort of commonly included in those pies. Uh, and then we'll start off with the, uh, with the S&P 500. If you look back 10 years from the end of 2018, the return on the S&P 500 mutual fund was is almost 13% per year. I knew I should have had all my money in that. Yep. And again, that's that's a high a historically high number, but you got you have to remember that is measuring from the beginning of 2009. So uh, so mo- we're most of the way through the bear market uh, at the end of 2009 and you really, you know, so you're starting from a very low point and that's it's a historically high number, but but it is what it is, right? And so people have been watching and if you go through sort of the annual returns for the last, uh, you know, for the last 10 years, there are some fairly significant ones, right? In 2009, it was up 20, 26% and then 15%. And then it had a flat 2011, but it, then it was up 15, 32, 13, just one, and then 11 and 21. So there's been some huge years in there and it's been a terrific return. Uh, and so we are now getting questions about uh, about 
about that asset in relation to a lot of the others. And so I thought I'd go through some of the other asset classes just to show sort of the points of comparison and on why you might be asking. And then we'll go back in time and take a look uh, and see at some at some older numbers and just try to illustrate why you are you know you know why we are sticking to our guns as uh, as we believe you should be as well. Okay. okay. Yep. Uh, and so you. So points of comparison, again, we'll, we'll use year-end 2018 uh, as our number. Uh, the international stock market, I won't do all these because I know there's a, ton, there's a ton in this spreadsheet, but I'm not going to go through them all. International do the, stock. Do the fun, the fun ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the 10-year return on international stocks, this is the developed world. Uh, so, you know, mostly, as we say, you know, Western Europe, Japan, Canada. Um, the, the developed world has earned... 6.26% over the trailing 10 years. All right, and that is less than half of what the United of what the US market has done. Okay? Ready for this one? Uh, the emerging markets have earned 7.3%. That's time again not quite less than half, but still not great. Uh, if you go out to the 10-year return on cash, money markets is 0.3%. <laughs> 0.3%. Uh, and the 10-year return on the U.S. bond market is 3.31%. And then I'll throw in international bonds for fun. The 10-year return on international bonds are uh, is is just over 4.5%. And then the last one I'll jump out to is gold, which is at 3.43%. Okay, so so clearly, if you're taking a look at the return, you know, the, the average annual 10-year returns, there is one that sticks out, and that one that is sticking out is uh, is the U.S. market by a long shot. Okay. Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, we think when we put together portfolios, our guess is that the, that stocks are in six or seven or eight for the next few years. And you yeah. know, if you took out the thirteen, that kind of lines up where we think they're going in the future. So you know, obviously, you know, people might say it's a normal performer. We think it's an extreme overperformer for that right. period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, yes. To, to be clear, our projections for, you know, I think returns in general are are on the lower side. And certainly I don't think we're projecting anything to be, you know, at 13 over a meaningful time period. Right. You know, a five or a 10 year time period. Cer certainly five. There may be overperformers. But when you get out longer term, 13 is a very, very high number. And uh, it's not where you should set your expectations as an investor. Yeah, folks, just FYI, you know, f for our clients who own a 100% stock portfolio, we think and cannot guarantee, but think it's reasonable, somewhere between a 7 and a 9% return for the rest of your life in a stock portfolio. Well, that midpoint is 8, folks, not 12 or 13 or 14 sort of thing. And again, that's our guess, uh, but, but based on a, a muted world for a whole bunch of reasons, we're sticking with that until we change it, right? Yep. Uh, okay, so let's go back. Now, let's go back in time, and I'll go quickly through 2015 because the story hasn't changed a lot. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll just hit a few of the high points. 2015, the story was relatively similar. In 2015, the trailing 10-year return on the stock market, which did include which did include 2007, right? So we're talking yeah. about 2006 through 2015. A bad time, yep. A bad okay. time. Yep. Still, the return was okay, right? In the U.S. market, it, you, you, you got 7.81%, which we would tell you. Ah, we look smart. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> think that's great. Okay, yep. Uh, however... Uh, the the trends it was sort of similar with regards to overseas stocks, uh, three percent for the developed world, just over three 
for the developed and the emerging world. So your emerging markets and your developed markets both less, still less than half of the U.S. market. Uh, bonds did okay. Uh, you know, you have a, a pretty good five-year bond return at 4.88% back in 2015. That's not a bad number. Uh, global bonds sort of similar. And then if you go out to gold, you had uh, a 7% per year, 10-year uh, return in gold at that time. So, you know, you had some diversification benefits from, you know, from some of the asset classes. But really, most of it was relatively muted, especially in the stock in stocks, with the exception of the United States. Okay. okay. Yep. Back in 2010 is where it gets fun, and it's where you know it's it's sort of unfortunate that we have to go this far back to say, hey, these uh, you know this diversification thing does work. Yeah, we've uh, had a long cycle in the U.S. to be up, and a long cycle to be down in the others. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So. For 2010... Now, this is looking backwards 10 years, right? Right. So the, yeah. so the trailing 10-year okay. return as of 2010, right? So, yep. so, yep. Yeah, so starting in, uh, you know, 1-1-2001 through, up through 2010. So the return, the 10-year average return ending 2010 for the U.S. stock market was a whopping 1.31% per year. And, and the reason for that, folks, is that you caught a bad time in 2000, the end of the tech bubble, and you caught a bad time in 2007, 8, 9. So this is a great period to choose about scary markets, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you start, yeah. you're starting from a high, and then you immediately hit, a, hit you know, two pretty historically bad bear markets. Yeah. And even, you know, even through all that, you were positive for the decade. So, so you know, that, that's, that's something. Although, if you look back to 2009, back one year, you did have a negative 10-year return. Uh, but in ending 2010, you had a positive return, although it was historically lousy, right? It was nowhere near the expectations of what, you know, whatever your expectations were. Whether, whether it was 6 or 7 rate or 9 or 10%, you are not even in the ballpark with regards to U.S. stock market exposure. Okay? Yep. Uh, Small, just parenthetically, small cap stocks actually had a very good uh, decade of the two thousands. They were up seven point two three percent. So wow, wow, diversification benefit helped there. Yep. Uh, now we'll get out to, to the fun part. So international stocks, which is what we've been hearing a lot about. Uh, you know, why do we own? You know, what, what's what's with these international stocks? Do they ever go up? Uh, international. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the developed world. Yep. Uh, for that decade was positive, not hugely up. It was 3.64%, right? So your uh, international stock exposure did benefit you, at least as when compared to the S&P 500, although it certainly wasn't a, uh, a gangbusters decade by any stretch. A 200% differential if you wanted to get cute about numbers, right? right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, doub you doubled the S&P. Yep. Um, if you go out, the next one is, is probably the most fun uh, is the emerging markets. So emerging markets, which have had, again, the, the emerging market, the 10 year ending return in emerging markets as of 2015, remember, was 3.4%. Ending in 2010, the number was 15.4% per year annualized. So in a decade when you earned one in the United States, the S&P 500, you earned 15 per 
in the emerging world, which is which is just a gargantuan difference. Yeah, yeah and, and we, we do rolling periods because think, we think it makes sense to kind of get a handle on things. But, you know, in, in, in I'm just doing the emerging markets here. So you got, if you look back 10 years in 2018, it was over seven. If you look back 10 years in 2015, it was just barely three. And if you look back 10 years in 2010, it was 15. What does that mean? That's why you own these things for a long time, folks. Yeah. <laughs> because you, because you, you have to, even 10 years, okay, may not be a long enough time to achieve averages across those investments. And, you know, it is what it is. You have to deal with that, but correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think, you know, we as an industry are partially guilty of defining long-term, you know, know, we, we, we might say something like, oh, you know, we need a few years to look smart. Well, I mean, in reality, long term in the investing world is actually very long. You know, you mean yeah. you, you like your already, lifetime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> twenty years is probably a good start, which I know is it's you know it's frustrating yeah. for for a client because yep. uh, you know they're trying to assess their lives and they're trying you know specifically to assess portfolios and assess advisors in you know much shorter time increments than that. You know, oh, yeah. I this, yeah. you know, I, I chose this new advisor. And you know it's been three years here, and yeah. uh, their portfolio owns all this stuff that that's you know it's 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 not doing it's doing terribly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and three three years is an infinity in a world where we're used to instantaneous information and wait for right. nothing. Right? Yeah, really, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hey, by yeah. the way, Jessica, could you give the rest of the numbers for 2010 for like the cash and bonds and stuff? Just just for yucks here, what what did bonds do for those years? Uh, 2000, yep. 2010. So bonds, uh, the U.S. bond market uh, did oh, just over five and a half. Whoa, we you know we should have had all your money in bonds and emerging markets, right? Yep. <laughs> wow. So dec- okay. I mean, the decade of the two thousands was a, was a very good year to be diversified from a U.S. centric po- point of view because all yeah. you know, you're, for the most part, most of your money would have you know most portfolios have the have the lion's share of their money in larger company stocks. Uh, so you know your S and P five hundred mutual yeah. fund didn't do so well in the decade of the two thousands, but if you own some emerging markets, they were up 15. Uh, unfortunately, people didn't yeah. own qu- probably quite as much emerging markets back in those days. But yeah. um, you know, uh, if you did, you you did well. And then bonds really helped you out because five and a half percent is a pretty darn good return in bonds, especially you know from today's point of view. Yeah, J- Josh. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here, and the math might not be perfect. But so if you looked at all three of these together. You know, we started with 218. The 2010 goes back to basically 2000. So if you looked at those 18 years, yep. okay, uh, emerging markets, 7.3, 3, and 15. Well, I'd happily take the average uh, of those. Right. So if you owned it for 18 years, you're, you're somewhere in a really respectable you know, return. And the same yep. thing with the U.S. and the same thing with the bonds. So, you know, so, so you're right. Uh, t- 20 years you got a better shot of things looking like they're supposed to the longer you wait. Yep. But but it's really hard. <laughs> it's it's hard, yeah. yeah. Just just to extend the, the the 2010 example because I think it's probably the it's it's definitely the most fun. Yeah, it, it's market market, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Global bonds uh, over that time period uh, were up 8.31%. Whoa. All right, so a huge Whoa. return in global bonds. Uh, unhe- global, uh, you know, if 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 you're an investment uh, tech, un- unhedged global bonds, which so don't they don't hedge for currency changes. Yeah. Uh, high yield bonds were at six point four. Uh, REITs, real estate investment trusts, had also had a great year at over ten percent per year. Again, that's that's those are domestic REITs. U.S. REITs did you know ten and a half, while the S and P five hundred was doing one. And wow. And finally, wow. gold. 
had a had a decade where it where it averaged seventeen and a half percent per year. And again, this was back in I remember these good old days when when gold was on fire and there were a lot of a lot of, <laughs> a lot of gold investments back at that yeah. time, right? Can I buy some more gold? Yes. Yep. No, you can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so again, so this is just we're just trying to. Ex- just trying to explain. I we have a couple more minutes before the break. Break. Uh, I'll go before go f- through a few of the more fun numbers on the chart yeah, just because okay, I think sure. they're interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's just let's let's stick on gold because we just mentioned it. So the five the ten years ending in twenty ten, I mentioned the gold was up seventeen and a half percent. There you go. The ten years before that, it was yeah. the average annual return was. Let me guess. Dead money. What was it? Two point eight six percent. There you go. So in yep. a span of five yep. years, yep. the ten-year average went from seventeen to three. Basically, inflation. Yep. Inflation over that time, which I do have here. Uh, did I keep my inflation numbers? I'm pretty sure I did. Inflation over that time was three point four two percent. There you go. All right. So you you lost to inflation, probably with a lot of volatility. Uh, and then five years later, your ten-year return is seventeen and a half percent rate of return. Yeah. So we, uh, we mention yeah. all the time to our clients yeah. that you know we we hear about gold a lot. Uh, it is extremely volatile. Um, if you go back five years before that, the decade ending two thousand, your yeah. oh average, yeah oh yeah your average annual rate of your ten-year rate of return on gold was negative. Three point three six percent, and the stock market was screaming for that decade, right? And the stock market was, yeah, the stock market ended seventeen point three five percent. So you're talking a about f- a, hu- <laughs> a huge. Fun, you missed that, Josh. It was a fun ten years, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I remember. Uh, but yeah, so but, I mean, yeah, that's a but, uh, j- just an illustration. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just got getting excited here, Josh. I, I uh, so I just took the you know we have three ten year periods starting backwards from eighteen, fifteen, and ten. Yeah. And the and the U.S. market returns, if you average them, it's seven. <laughs> okay, really? Oh, okay, perfect. Okay, yeah. <laughs> if you average it for 18 years, it's seven, folks. Uh, and who wouldn't be happy if, if you, you know, again, this is not perfect, but it's pretty close. Who wouldn't yeah. be happy looking back 18 years with a 7% return? Uh, it, it's the folks looking backwards 10 years with a, with a 3% return from international stocks right now that, that are right. you know, having the question. So, you know, yeah. it, 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 we, we, we do... We do say, you know, we think if you do this long enough, we'll look pretty intelligent, but we have no idea how long that's going to be. So the, right. the, longer, the longer people will buy into that, the better their chances are of making this work. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's just a, it's certainly an advertisement to, to get to know your, you know, if you're using an advisor, get to know your advisor. And that's why, the, you know, the successful investors generally are, I, I would say that they have trust in whatever they're doing, right? They, they're either right. working with an yeah. advisor that they trust yeah. uh, because if you're, or, or with a portfolio that they trust or with a company that they trust, right? Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're able to stick with it through the ups and downs, everything goes in cycles and you just need to be able to, to extend your time horizon. It's, it is, it's hard for, I mean, we, we certainly understand that it's hard for a client to say, okay, so you want me to wait, 
let's use the how many years? Twenty, 20 years, <laughs> and, and what happens if I wait that twenty years and, and yeah. I was wrong? Right, that's yeah, that's half right. my that's half yeah. my uh, retirement investing yeah, but <laughs> lifespan. Yeah, yeah. There you so go. It's not it's not an easy decision. Yeah, uh, and we're not saying it's certainly easy, but we are just trying to argue more patience is generally always a good thing as long as you're pretty comfortable that you have a, a, a good strategy in place. Yeah, well said, folks. We're we're at about break, but I wanted to say one thing before the break. So so. Let's pretend you were that person who invested in 2000 and we're sitting in a meeting talking to those folks in 2018 and their average return, let's say, is 7% for the U.S. stock market. Okay, they did it long enough to get comfortable and the folks who were in that game don't get anywhere as much nervous about the ups and downs of the stock market because they kind of know how it works and they experienced it. You know, understanding it intellectually is one thing. Yeah. Living it and getting through some bad times and, and feeling good about it, that's another. And let's face it, you know, how many folks do we know for 15, 20, 25 years? And, you know, we, we, you know when we do an investment review meeting, it's a pretty short one because it, it's hard to dent a 7% return, you know, with the 19th year sort of a thing. So it's kind of kind of cool. But the yeah. longer it goes, the easier it is, folks. And that's really a, that's really a hard thing. Okay, let's take a a break and we'll be right back. 